In the 21st century, on October 7th, 2023, our world witnessed a horrific pogrom where Israeli men, women, children, and elderly were brutally murdered in the most grotesque manner. The devastating count of those killed is reported to be over 1,300, with thousands more injured. Not since the Holocaust have so many Jews been massacred in one day. And whereas the Nazis did much to hide their crimes, some Hamas members streamed their rampage live for the world to see, proud of their evil. And yet there are voices of support and marches of celebration in cities around the world. In Sydney, Australia, a protest group was filmed chanting, Gas the Jews! A lecturer at Stanford University asked all the Jews to stand in a corner while berating them. Many Jewish schools were closed for fear of attacks. Some boarded up. Not in Israel, but in, in New York, Chicago, and London. The BBC and the CBC and other outlets are openly refusing to call Hamas terrorists what they are. is terrorists. Instead, they call them militants, gunmen, or other less condemning names. In Toronto, uh, we have here Palestinian demonstrators mocking, and, uh, mocking Israel and playing sounds of their air raid sirens and cheering. The list of these type of events goes on and on, let alone if you go online or onto Twitter or any of these social media uh, sites. Utterly sickening. At a moment such as this, one can truly see the true colors of so many. And what makes it so outrageous is that much of this noise began before Israel even had a chance to respond. Truly, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, and anti-Semitism is being shown the world over. The old hatred of the Jews that has led to centuries of pogroms, massacres, and the Holocaust itself is again on full display. In scriptural language, Hamas is displaying the spirit of Edom that we read of in Ezekiel 35 uh, and verse 5. It reads, Thou hast a perpetual hatred. The revised version says, Or enmity. And hast shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity. It is with great sadness that we look upon the mourning of Zion at this time. In lamentations she asks, Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me. We pray and long for the salvation of Israel and echo the words of Psalm 79. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight. And from Psalm 33, Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. Of this we are of no doubt that the Lord is bringing about his purpose. The words of Psalm 121.4 also give us confidence. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Well, the surprise attack seems to be a response to the expected growth of the Abraham Accords that looked set to bring Saudi Arabia into the fold. Iran, who backs Hamas, Hezbollah, and many other terrorist organizations in the Middle East, has been opposed to those Abraham Accords, obviously. And the idea of Saudi Arabia normalizing relations with Israel was a red line for the Ayatollah and every other anti-Semite. The following headlines, though, 
detail the impression uh, that, we, that we're getting. Uh, this is from Politico, October 7th. Iran's support for Hamas fans suspicion it's wrecking Israel-Saudi deal. From October the 8th, uh, Time magazine. Why Hamas tried to sabotage Arab-Israeli peace prospects with a massive unprovoked attack. Well, Netanyahu knew there was a danger of the enemies of, that the enemies of Israel would try and thwart the progression of peace. And on September 22nd of this year, just uh, a couple of weeks before the attacks, Netanyahu spoke of this at the UN General Assembly. And this, this is, uh, the following is what he actually, uh, the words of his, uh, from his speech. He says, over three millennia ago, our great leader Moses addressed the people of Israel as they were about to enter the promised land. He said they would find their two mountains facing one another, Mount Gerizim, the site on which a great blessing would be proclaimed, and Mount Ebal, the site of a great curse. Moses said the people's fate would determine, was determined by the choice they made between the blessing and the curse. That same choice has echoed down the ages, not just for the people of Israel, but for all humanity. We face such a choice today. It will determine whether we enjoy the blessings of historic peace, of boundless prosperity and hope, or suffer the curse of a horrific war of terrorism and despair. Well, sadly, Israel's enemies have chosen a horrific war of terrorism and despair. The question is, will it stop the peace? God is clear, actually, very clear. At the time of the end, when we see this great northern confederacy in Ezekiel 38, this northern confederacy of nations come against my people Israel, it says. When we, f when we look in the chapter, we see they are living peacefully, the situation is described in detail in verse 11. It reads, And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, dwelling safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. In Russia, the Vatican and the invasion of Israel, Graham Pierce writes the following in 1970. He says, These words of Ezekiel have not yet been fulfilled, and they most certainly will be fulfilled. We must accept God's words with childlike disposition. It is debasing the scene to apply these phrases to a past or present situation. He continues, How will this unlikely change come about? By now we have realized that Christ is at this time in the earth, not revealed to the world, but associated with his saints influencing the affairs of the, of the earth, just as now he works with the angels of heaven to the same end. He also, uh, he continues, uh, it is also possible that the presence of Tarshish powers, primarily Britain and the U.S., in the land at this time will help in bringing about some great power stability in the area. This situation, and that was the end of his quote, this situation may seem impossible today. Really, it seems, it seems the farthest thing uh, is that we would have a land of no bars, walls, and gates. But just as peace came with the Arab Emirates and Bahrain over the last few years, so too it will come with Saudi Arabia. And most port importantly, it is going to come with the Palestinians. Surprising to many has been the response of Joe Biden, 
who has come out forcefully with deep-throated support of Israel. He spoke for ten minutes, describing the horrors of the, uh, of the attacks, of Hamas's attacks, and Israel's right to defend itself, uh, along with the support the U.S. would provide. He actually genuinely seemed disgusted, and uh, he closed with the following. Let there be no doubt the, is- the United States has Israel's back. We will make sure the Jewish and democratic state of Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, and as we always have. It is as simple as that. These atrocities are sickening. We're with Israel. Make no mistake, he said. And with that, he walked out of the room, and there were re- reporters calling out why he had provided Iran with a deal worth $6 billion. And it's a fair question. But regardless, Israel, it seems, has a level of U.S. support, at least for the near, the very near future. Uh, we are very suspect that that other that the U.S. and others could leave uh, could actually put an incredible amount of pressure on Israel. But in the, in the immediate, the U.S. began to airlift weapons and supplies to Israel. Also, in an even more significant move, the U.S. has uh, sent in the pride of the U.S. fleet, which has only just come into service, I think, in the last uh, couple of years. The USS Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group has been sent uh, to the eastern Mediterranean. And we, we look at the words of Graham and the words of the prophecies, and we can see that uh, it is coming, it's exactly what was expected is coming to pass. And the, the question is, will this Tarshish presence bring about stability? We wait to see. But not only did we have a response from the United States and those friendly to Israel, of course we had a response from, from those not favorable to Israel. One that is worth noting is a Russian response. Because from that same chapter of Ezekiel 38, we expect Russia to, to, to uh, turn hostile against Israel, and it's, uh, it seems we are witnessing those events. The following is from Israel Hayam, uh, was published on October the 11th. It reads, Ever since the attack took place, Russia has assumed a neutral position, which has been manifested through its calls for a ceasefire that would have taken place practically before Israeli planes had a chance to fly its first bombing sortie. According to independent Russian journalists, this coverage in Russia has followed a similar line, striking a middle ground at best, but this began to change on Saturday. As Israeli casualties mounted, former uh, President Dmitry Medvedev, and currently the deputy chairman of the Security Council of Russia, found the culprit, the U.S. And he quotes, uh, Israel Hayam quotes, the start of the hostilities between Hamas and Israel 50 years after the Yom Kippur War was expected. The conflict has been going on for decades, and the U.S. is a key player here. One could have easily dismissed these comments if it weren't for the fact that two days later it turned out that diverting the attention to the U.S. rather than condemning Hamas and showing solidarity with Israel is actually the predominant stance among Russian policymakers. For example, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov expressed, quote, deep concern over the death of hundreds of Israelis and Palestinians and stated that, quote, taking women and children by hostage by both sides is unacceptable. 
but then he went on to blame the U.S. for trying to avoid the establishment of a Palestinian state and undermining the efforts to resolve the problems between Israel and Gaza. Eventually, the article continues, three days after the horrendous massacre, President Vladimir Putin himself articulated the stance, quote, I think many people will agree with me that this is a vivid example of the failure of U.S. policy in the Middle East, Putin said. Quote, Washington had sought to monopolize efforts at forging peace and failed to seek workable compromises. The U.S. had ignored the interests of Palestinians, including their need for their own independent Palestinian state. That is the end of uh, Putin's words, but the article continues. There was not a single word of solidarity with Israel, nor was there mention of its right to defend itself or, or, or any condemnation of Hamas's atrocities. And I will just highlight that, that uh, Sergei Lavrov said, taking women and children hostage by both sides is un unacceptable. As if Israel is taking hostages of uh, women and children Palestinians. It's an outrageous, uh, an outrageous claim. Well, Russia has made its, uh, its stance fairly clear. And then there is, of course, the Israeli response. And in Israel, the realization that Hamas has been able to commit such a pogrom in our times has left the nation in shock and disbelief. Netanyahu said, uh, quote, differences that have deeply divided the nation over the last months have for the moment been largely put aside with the formation of a national emergency government. As for the war, dubbed Operation Iron Swords, Israel has a resolve possibly not seen since 1973. That was the Yom Kippur War. And Netanyahu has claimed that every member of Hamas is a dead man and vowed to change the Middle East. The defense minister, Yoav Gallant, which we would know in, uh, as an English, um, in the English Bible as Joab, <laughs> it's uh, kind of fitting, put it in his own words, Hamas, Hamas uh, Daesh of Gaza will be wiped out from the face of the earth. There's no situation in which you kill Israeli kids and we go about our business. How long U.S. support will continue for, as we said, remains to be seen. However, as Graham Pierce wrote, based on scripture, we expect a change in the Middle East, and specifically around the relationship with the Palestinians. And I suppose the question is, will, this latest, uh, will these latest events, this latest catalyst, bring about that change? In one of Netanyahu's first televised addresses to the nation in Hebrew on October the 7th, he ended with the following. With the help of God, the forces we have in common, and our faith in the Eternal One of Israel, we will win. And it is, it is, although only a line, it is nice to see the recognition of the need of God. Because in, in this conflict, as with all of Israel's conflicts, it is in the Lord's hands. Well, we expect Israel to increase, actually. And for almost 2,000 years, the Jewish people were scattered throughout the world with their lives hanging in doubt, as we would find in Deuteronomy. However, the downtreading of the Jewish people was a temporary position, as is uh, uh, confirmed for us in Luke uh, 
They shall fall by the edge of the sword, the Jewish people, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. With the Jewish people back in control of Jerusalem, we are certainly in the era of the redemption. And yet, we're still witnessing the horrors of anti-Semitism. Israel's original conquering of the land under Joshua was not instantaneous, actually. Uh, if you go back to Exodus 23.30, we, we, uh, we read, uh, God says, By little and little I will drive them out from before thee, until thou be increased and inherit the land. In Judges 3, God reveals further the purpose for leaving people surrounding the Jewish, uh, his Jewish people. Uh, so leaving the surrounding peoples uh, around his nation. He says, quote, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at least such as before knew nothing thereof, namely, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Zidonians, the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from, from Mount Baal Hermon, even unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them, to know whether they would hearken to the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. That's an interesting, that is really an interesting uh, uh, piece, that those there, and if you you can't help but notice it's the it's the Philistines which are in would have been traditionally in the Gaza area, the Zidonians, the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon, uh, and and from Mount Baal Hermon unto the entering of Hamath, which is in the north. So Israel traditionally had here uh, enemies in in the Gaza area and in the north. So the Lord leaves them there, surrounding Israel. He says that Israel might know to teach them to war, at least those ones uh, that didn't know of war before, it says. So, really, God has a purpose with his people. And we might look at that and think, well, that is never what I would want my people to go through. The Lord is in control. He says in Exodus 19 and 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And in the past, as God worked with his nation, he saw the experiences, I suppose, obviously, the experiences of war shaped them. And further to this, it cannot escape us that in the list of nations, other than the Canaanites, uh, as we said, those it is, it is in the north and in the Gaza Strip that these nations, uh, that we find them. Now, unless we get carried away, this does not mean that God is unmindful of the treatment of his people. Uh, exactly the opposite. Uh, speaking of Israel, we read in Zechariah 2 and 8, For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. And ultimately, when we go back to that Ezekiel uh, 38, it's the terrible treatment of God's people that brings on his anger. Verses, uh, you can look at that in verses 14 to 21. And it's after this that Israel is restored to their glorious position in the kingdom age. However, we do experience, we do expect a period of peace before the invasion from the north. This is the time in which Elijah will turn the hearts of the people. And we, you can read of that in Malachi 4 and in uh, Matthew 17, 10 to 11. And he says, truly Elijah will first come. And this fits in exactly with Isaiah 59 and 20. 
the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. And in the Hebrew, it's unto them that are turning. So, this strange period of peace that precedes Armageddon, thus the, the battles of Ezekiel 38, it so happens that it's at the same time that we would expect Elijah to be preparing the people. Is it a strange coincidence? In fact, it's most appropriate that a time of peace and stability coincides with the time of teaching. And for that teaching to proceed, the resurrection of those teachers will be necessary. You're not going to have teaching of the, of the nation of Israel without the resurrected teachers. What an incredible thought that is. It, it, it just, you, when you start to look at these events unfolding, there's a great fight against the peace in the Middle East you know, by, by Hamas and its supporters. They do not want the Abraham Accords. They do not want uh, any of this. And they are willing to, to essentially do what they've just done, to try and torpedo those peace efforts. Well, the enemies of Israel will, of course, do everything they can to destroy the peace. But that peace, if God says it will come, it will come. And it may be that it's a rough road, but believe, believe the scriptures, it will come. And really, we could say this, that the Abraham Accords are just the beginning. And surely, for us, peace between Israel and her neighbors is one of the greatest signs of the nearness of our Lord's return. But however, when that peace is achieved so that walls, bars, and gates are coming down, it is likely that resurrection has taken place and judgment of the household has already begun. And that is a sobering thought when we see the fight for that peace taking place now. But secondly, as we mentioned, it's through the experiences of tragedy and war that a nation is being shaped. As our Lord learned, by the, uh, learned obedience by the things which he suffered, so too will the nation of Israel. And thirdly, and most importantly for us, is the question posed in Second Peter 3, verse 11 to 12. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the, uh, of the day of God? Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And again in Psalm 125 and 5, As such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon Israel. And so with the time we have remaining, before the Lord comes, we can use it to prepare ourselves. And our response to the nation, Daniel chapter 9, we find the prophet uh, praying desperately for his people. And God wants to hear us in this regard. You know, some people say, well, you know, Israel's not, it has not been made, it is not yet the holy nation that it will be. Neither was Israel in the time when Daniel prayed for them when they were in exile yeah, in chapter 9. And so God wants to hear us in this, in this respect. Uh, and he says, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7. And truly that is ultimately our prayer 
for where the end of all this all this stands is that the nation of Israel will be restored will be restored to glory and Jerusalem will be not in a temporary peace before Armageddon but will be in true peace with those teachers raised up with those saints of old there going up to the temple to worship the Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ with that we leave you Until next week for another edition of the Bible in the News, this has been John Billington with you. Thank you.